Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Today, I wrap up a series that we've been in for a number of weeks now, A Royal Priesthood. A Royal Priesthood. Um, I have three texts. We've read all these texts, but I just it's important that we read them, and then I'll take off from there and try to answer one question today. I'll try to stay focused on one question. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let's start there. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. First Peter 2, 9. Scripture says, but you... Oh. Uh, the, the New King James Version of the Bible. New King James. Thank you. God bless you. <laughs> but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Revelation chapter 5, I'll read verse 9 and 10. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. The Bible says that, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign. On the earth. Can we read the last part together? And we shall reign. Can we read that again? And we shall can you personalize it? And I. Do it one more time. And I. Very well. Psalms 8. Third reading. Psalms 8, um, verse 4. 4 to 6, actually. The Bible says, Thank you. What is man? that you are mindful of him, and the son of man, that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than angels, and you have crowned him with what? Glory and? Okay, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. Can you do, and you have crowned him, but can you personalize that? And you have crowned me with, with glory and honor. You have made me to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under my feet. All right, we've been talking about a royal priesthood, and I started to talk about the kingship last week. One of the things I said, and that's where I start, is that the kingship is your identity in Christ. When you became born again, if you are born again, one of the things that happened is that you became a king. That is your identity. Um, Bible says you're a royal priesthood. You're ready yourself. First Peter 2, 9, Revelation chapter 5, 9, and 10. And I said that the kingship really speaks to the aspect of our relationship with God or the expression, I would say, of our relationship with God that brings God glory. The kingship speaks to success. It speaks to uh, glory, honor, dignity, excellence, brilliance. The kingship speaks to authority and dominion. That's the kingship dimension of our walk with God. I explained the priesthood over the past few weeks, so please go back and catch up on that. The kingship 
when manifested through Christians, is that dimension that causes people to give glory to your Father. That's what we saw in the life of Daniel. That's what we saw in the life of the three Hebrew boys. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar, I read that scripture, I kept looking at it, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Daniel chapter 3, after they threw them into the fire, and of course they came out of the fire alive, but they didn't just come out alive, there was no sign on them that they even went through the fire at all. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar said, there is no God who can deliver like the God of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That is dominion, all right? Um, That's the dimension that Joseph was exhibiting in Egypt when he came to Egypt. It's brilliant. It, It gives God glory. That's the part that we all want. It's easy to embrace kingship. Priesthood is not easy. Because priesthood is all about sacrifice, your relationship with God, consecration, all these things that you guys were like, Pastor, please hurry up and get past, get past all this stuff and get to the good stuff. But the kingship is God's brilliance shining through us. That's the part that says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus manifested kingship in strange ways. The Bible will talk about Jesus that when the people saw what he did, they would give glory to God. They, they, it, there's just no way to explain the kind of results that he got. That's the kingship at work. So kingship in your life looks like success. It looks like you being in control. You being in charge of situations. It looks like health. All right. It looks like abundance. It looks like glory. It looks like dignity in your life. In the book of Zechariah, the Bible actually says this, that 10 men, 10 men would cleave to the skirt of a Jewish man. Zechariah 8 and verse 23. And they would say to a Jewish man, let us follow you to the house of your God because we have seen that God is with you. Obviously, you don't grab somebody and say, let us follow you to the house of your God if their lives don't look good, right? Do you agree? Have you ever seen someone here like, this person is going through, like, and you're like, this, you take me to the house of your God. No, no, that's the kingship at work. It's the brilliance of God manifest to us as children of God, all right? So I did say also last week that, we have what we call articles of kingship. Now, let me, let me say this. I didn't say this last week, but let me say this right here. That the articles of kingship I'm going to speak about, I spoke about last week, all of us have them if you're a child of God. It doesn't matter if you're a bishop. It doesn't matter if you gave your life to Christ five minutes ago. The articles of kingship are available to all of us. The first one I said is our birthright, that we have royal blood flowing through our veins. Remember I said that? The Bible says that he that is born of God. So you are born of God. Once you give your heart to Jesus Christ, God removes you from the family tree that you currently belong to and plugs you into the family tree of Jesus, right? So there is a birthright we have as kings. There is, a, there is something in us, all right, that makes us our identity. I said the second article of kingship, apart from your birthright, is your throne. I said every one of us has a throne, and the Bible says that we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. So where we rule from the place from which we are able to administer rule over our lives and situations is seated with Christ, where? In heavenly places, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 6. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 1 and verse 20, 21, 22, God, there is relativism there because it says that these heavenly places is what? Far above principalities and powers. So that's your throne. That's where you sit with God. Whether you know it or not, you, you don't have to agree with it. It's just your reality. Do you understand that? All right. The third article um, of kingship, I said, is your domain. Every king has a domain. And we just read this. You shall rule upon the the earth. 
He's given us dominion over all things. But if you bring it into your space, I said beyond the general dominion that we all have, there is a space that God has crafted for you where you have rule. There is an area of life. There is just an area. So I just talked about Daniel. So let me go back to Daniel for a moment. Daniel was given such a grace in the area of politics or administration or something, right? He, this guy was, we call Daniel a prophet today, but truth be told, he was like minister of education or something. Can you imagine? But he did that by the power of the Holy Spirit so much so that we all say Daniel the prophet. That's the truth. It's, 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 there's a space that God has called you to. So your space can be politics. Your space can be sports. Your space can be entertainment. Your space can be music. Your space can be intercession. It is different for everybody. So that space is your domain. Beyond the space, there is also your life. So you cannot be claiming to be king, and the enemy has access to your life at all times. Devil comes in, leaves footprints, goes. When you wake up in the morning, you say, ah, devil has been here again. No, no, that's not acceptable, okay? Your life is one of the, one of the areas, the territories that you must protect, all right? And then your family. That's your domain. So if you see random things happening in your family, you must be able to speak against it. You must be able to intervene and say, no, nothing happens here except by my authorization. That is a breach. That is a breach. So we have a birthright, we have a throne, we have a domain, and I said we all have a scepter. I said the scepter is that thing. If you see a king, they always have something like a staff um, that really signifies the authority of a king. And in our context, the Holy Spirit is a scepter. All right, Psalms 110, I believe, verse 2. The Bible says that he will send the rod of his power out of Zion. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, rule thou in the midst of your enemies. All right? You can't rule without the Holy Spirit. And every Christian, all of us, we have all these four things. Those are the articles of kingship. Now, let me talk to you about a man in the Bible called Gideon for two seconds. In the book of Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 Let's read this guy's story. An interesting dude. Gideon. Judges 6, 11. The Bible says, an angel of the Lord. Okay, thank you. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under that tree, which was in that place, which belonged to that guy. <laughs> the Bible says, while his son, Gideon, that's my, the guy I'm interested in. The Bible says he was threshing wheat in the wine press. Why? in order to hide it from the Midianites. Verse 12. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Who's the angel talking to here? Come on, talk to me, guys. Who's, who? who? Gideon. Gideon. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse number 13. Now, Gideon said to him, and this is the question we want to answer today. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? In other words, what Gideon was really saying is that I appreciate you, angel, for your visitation. Thank you for the positive words of encouragement you've just said. But in case you haven't surveyed the land, there is a discrepancy between the things we were told and the reality on ground. These guys at this time were oppressed by the Midianites. So this guy was hiding. Hmm. 
It's like someone that just gets his paycheck and he goes into the garage to quickly hide and buy a few provisions and store them in the garage. You know you should store your provisions in the kitchen, right? The reason why this guy was threshing wheat in the wine press was because the enemy knew where to come and, and plunder them. All right. So Gideon is saying, okay, I appreciate all that you said, but the reality does not line up with what you're saying. And that's the question today is, if we are kings, as I have said, because I have said that, and I'm sure you believe that I spoke from Scripture. If you don't believe me, it's there, literally in 1 Peter 2, 9 and whatnot. But stay here, don't leave, please. If it's true that we are kings, if it's true that God has built us for dominion and glory and honor and dignity and all these amazing, and success, why, why is our life like this? I don't know about you because I ask these questions. I'm like, God, I appreciate what Scripture says. I can't argue with Scripture. I believe it, but the question is, there's a discrepancy between our identity in Christ and our reality in life. Do you agree with me? Do you agree with me? Mm. Many times as Christians, there is this chasm, there's this gap, a gulf, that you see the promises of God, but your reality does not align with it in any way. It looks foreign to you. The only place you can recognize it on the pages of Scripture but as far as your life is concerned, it's completely lacking representation of the things you've read in Scripture. So Gideon is asking a very wise question. He said, look, thank you, angel. I appreciate you. But if God is with us, why are these things happening to us? So if we are kings, as we've said, why is it that our reality does not line up with our identity? What is it exactly that makes our kingship impotent? That's what I want to answer today. Why is it that we're not able to live out this reality as we ought to? What's the reason why? Three things. The first reason why, why kingship can be impotent is because of what I call deficient or defective priesthood. Say that again for the people in the back. Deficient or defective priesthood. Now you're saying, Pastor, are we really going back to this priesthood matter? I thought we were going to speak about kingship. We are going to speak about kingship. But let me say this to you, and I, 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 need you, I need you to understand what I'm saying to you. I need you to hear me. Hear me very clearly. Hear my heart. The kingship rests upon the pillar of priesthood. So the success, the dominion, the excellence, the brilliance, the authority, all of that, in reality, rests upon the pillar or the foundation that is called priesthood. I'm saying that to say this, that your priesthood is what determines the strength of your kingship. The potency of your priesthood is what determines the potency of your, of your kingship. In all of Scripture, all of Scripture, this is a consistent message from God. That I have made you for glory, but you see, the priesthood is always in the fine print. Give you an example. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let him have dominion. Right? The Bible says, God made man in his own image after his likeness. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. Verse 28. The Bible says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Now, this is kingship. This is kingship. Do you agree? Does everyone agree? That's kingship. So here, Adam is probably like, fantastic. 
I'm going to be reigning in life. I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to multiply. I'm going to have dominion. But when you get to Genesis chapter 2, you see the fine print. You know, God says to them, look, of all the trees in this garden, you can freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That right there is the priesthood. Because that is the consecration that protects everything that God has promised him as far as his kingship was concerned. So when we hear from God, I'm going to do this in your life. You need to first, if you're a mature Christian, the first thing you do before you say amen is to ask, what are the conditions? Yeah, what, what are the conditions? Because the moment Adam broke his consecration, he lost the kingship. So it is a direct correlation between your priesthood and your kingship. When you come out and you try to operate as king, and you struggle to operate as king, the first place you go is you check your priesthood. It's like a doctor. When you go to a doctor and they start to check you, you know, check you out and all that, usually there's a place that doctors like to start. When you're trying to diagnose why you are praying, why you are declaring, why you are trying to manifest kingship, or your life looks like there is no representation, there's no alignment between what you read in scripture and what your life is really manifesting, you need to go back and check your priesthood. That's the first place you go. Don't check for enemies in your grandfather's village. The, the, listen to me. The first place, you go to your priesthood. Because we always quick to blame Satan. I like how when people come to me and say, Pastor, I have a problem. I'm not mocking you, please, so you can still tell me. And they've already diagnosed that it's a demonic problem. The pastor, this is demons. I know this is demons. Pray about demons. And I'm going, okay, uh, this is not demons. Okay, I'm not saying that there are no demons, though. They're demons. The strength of your priesthood would always determine the strength of your kingship. Always. Always. And when I was, you know, I was thinking about this, Lord started to say to me that one of the things we Christians like to embrace, especially New Testament Christians, we say, Jesus has paid the price for our priesthood and our righteousness. Do you agree? We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is absolute truth. But you see, theologically speaking, that's called your positional righteousness. It's a legal work that Jesus has done. Now, there is a practical righteousness, which is the part that you live righteous. Do you understand that? All right. I'm just, that's not where I'm going, but I'm trying to build something. So what we do as Christians a lot of times is that we try to leverage the positional work of Christ, which we should. But we want to get the practical fruits of kingship. Do you understand that? You want to leverage positional priesthood so you don't consecrate yourself. You don't dedicate yourself. You don't give yourself to sacrifice, service, worship, altars, all that stuff that I spoke about. You don't die to self. You don't die to flesh. You don't die to the world. You want to live exactly how you are. But in the morning, you, you call on the blood of Jesus. I'm, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and you are. But in practice, you are the unrighteousness of Ottawa. <laughs> Do you understand that? Your life does not align with the righteousness of God at all. So you want the positional standing, but you also want practical results, not positional, because you already have positional kingship. So if you want practical results, you must have practical priesthood. You must get on your knees and pray. You must live a life of consecration. Jesus must be able to tell you you are wrong and you say, I'm sorry. So don't stop, stop this irresponsible Christianity that tells you that Jesus has paid all the price that there is to pay. 
All you have to do is get to heaven. You will get to heaven. But on the earth, dominion will be as far, you'll be oppressed by devils. You, you, you cannot exercise dominion. Because if you want practical kingship, the one that can be seen with the eyes, there must be priesthood that we can see with the eyes. Not the one in heaven, which Jesus is doing. You will leverage that because strength and grace has been provided for you to live out that life. But you must use that so that you can have practical dominion. This is the story of the entire scripture. Whenever people break priesthood, the kingship would always suffer. It has never failed in all of scripture. Never. So David, for example, <clears throat> was the greatest king Israel ever had. The reason why David was the greatest king Israel ever had because he was the king that Israel had that understood priesthood more than all the other kings. Do you agree? Yes. Under David's time, the priesthood was an all, at an all-time potency, and the kingdom was expanding. They would take strongholds after strongholds. And the Bible talks about David and his mighty men. The Bible talks about certain mighty men that David had. Eliezer, the son of Dodo. Shama, a son of... Now, listen, these guys, there was one of these men that stood one day, defended a plot of land, and the Bible says he killed 800 men. 800 men, one man. Now, you and I both know that no human being can do that. Do you agree? If you, look, even if you bring like a U.S. Marine, highly trained CIA agent or something, and you give him a sword, and you put 800 children, they will kill him. Do you understand? It's not possible. What I'm trying to tell you is that what people don't understand is that the strength of David's kingdom was not the men. There were angels, warring angels that fought with David. If you fight him, you will die. It was, it was guaranteed. Because this guy knew how to manipulate priesthood. He's the guy that sinned against God and you see him broken before God and starts to say, cast me not from your presence, O God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That was the man that David was. David was the guy that would go and offer sacrifices. Saul would do the same thing. And God says, in fact, you are condemned. You are condemned. Brilliance. But the priesthood was intact. In David's time, nobody in Israel dared to raise another altar to another God. Never. Never. It wasn't possible. He led the procession. When he danced before God, when you see the king dance that his jacket falls off, why would you not follow? So he modeled priesthood for the entire nation, and the kingship was bright under David. There was no stronghold they could not take. When the Bible says to us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 that you are a royal priesthood, I think I've said this to you before at some point. Let me say it again for the benefit of those who are new. What you need to understand, just from simple English language, is that royal is a qualifier. Do you agree? You don't? Okay, if I say that this is a black pulpit, lectern. Really, what this is, is that it's a lectern. The color is just a description of the kind of lectern that it is. So royal, even though that's the one we like to embrace, it's a description of the kind of person that you are. You are really a priest. Royalty is just an expression of your true identity. So when we flip the scripts and say, well, I'm a priesthood royal. You, no, you're not. What happens is that you are really a priest. I can repaint this thing, but I can't change what it is. Do you understand that? A red car is a red car. Red is a description. What it is is a car. I can spray it black and it becomes a black car. It will remain it will remain a car. So don't embrace Christianity that thinks God is just 
going to dole out blessings and why is God not doing things? The reason why is because our priesthood is deficient. Look at Israel for crying out loud. Every time that Israel had their act together, they thrived. I'm not saying they didn't have enemies come against them, but the enemies lost. Do you understand that? So I'm not saying if you have your priesthood in order, the enemy will not come after you or you won't have challenges. No. But you will be victorious. That's what I'm saying. Because David fought many battles. He won them all. He won them all. Deuteronomy 28, when God is speaking to Israel, he says, look, if you shall diligently obey, that's priesthood, all the words, all my commandments and my statutes, if, if you will do that, then he says, I, the Lord, will set you on high above all nations of the earth. That is kingship. What we want is to be set on high, but we don't want to diligently obey. We don't want to follow the statutes. We want to toss the commandments. Like I said, you want the positional righteousness, you want practical kingship. It does not work. It has never worked. In all of scripture, it has never worked. I say all the time that I believe that the epitome of kingship is when you combine David and Solomon. Because David was a warrior. Solomon was a man of brilliance, excellence. When you came into Solomon's space, you, you, you felt like you were in like a 10-star hotel. He had this thing about him that the, Jesus, Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 6, and he refers to Solomon. He says, look, all the birds of the air, they do not sow, they do not reap, but God has clothed them beautifully. And none, even Solomon, Jesus Christ said, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these guys. So Solomon's glory was legendary. That's what I'm trying to say. For generations after the guy was gone, people referred and said, I mean, the people, <laughs> when the temple was rebuilt, the people who sought Solomon's temple, the one that Solomon built, they started to cry. Whereas those that were seeing the new temple started celebrating. Because when they saw Solomon's and they compared it with the new one, they were like, oh, there is a gulf of difference. That was Solomon, a man of brilliance. But you have to remember the secret of Solomon before he started messing around. Was that the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 3 that Solomon loved the Lord. Hmm. And he offered a thousand burnt offerings to God. That is priesthood. But the Bible is trying to tell you that that's, that was the priesthood of Solomon. Now, you, you don't, I showed you guys a picture of the brazen altar a few weeks back. How do you sacrifice and offer a thousand burnt offerings. Even the priests on duty would say, seriously, <laughs> are you kidding me right now? Have you ever taken your car to the car wash? And the car wash people are like, bro, look, we're just going to double the price. We're just going to, if you have kids, you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> they will do that to your car. Solomon, a thousand. They brought one after the other. I, I believe it took days to sacrifice a thousand burnt offerings. And after that, God came to him and said, okay, Tell me, what shall I do for you? What shall I do for you? Solomon said, you know, I just want wisdom. God says, forget about wisdom. You will have it. But beyond that, I'll give you riches, give you glory, give you honor, give you all these other things. The kingship is always tied to priesthood. If you're not praying, if you don't have an altar, you're not living a life of consecration, you're not living a life of sacrifice, you're not dying to self, you're not growing in your walk with God. There's a limit to which you can express kingship. That's the truth. There's a limit to which you can express kingship. I love 
the story of Jesus as it pertains to this particular thing. Oh, my. Listen, Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5. I want us to read it together. From verse 5 all the way to 11. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Bible says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ also, was also in Christ Jesus, who being, now please pay attention, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, yes sir or ma'am, but made himself of no reputation, taking, now here it starts to describe his priesthood. Just pay attention. Starts to describe the life of sacrifice and service that Jesus lived to the will of the Father. Made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men. Keep going. And being found in appearance as a man, he did what? Humbled himself. And did what? Became obedient to the point of death. Remember we talked about death? Death to self, death to flesh, death to the world, and all that. All right, to the point of death. This death of the cross that Jesus had was a death to all four, by the way. The cross represents a death to self a death to flesh, a death to sin, because he could not have died on the cross if he was not sinless, and a death to the world. No human being who loves the world wants to die the way of the cross. Priesthood. Anyways, verse 9. What that first word there means, therefore, means that everything I'm about to say is as a result of everything that I just said. Do you agree? So, because of that, God also has done what? Highly exalted him, giving him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, this is kingship right here, I hope you know. Mm -hmm. Every knee in heaven, in earth, under. If you go, if you dig the earth and go under and cover yourself, just before you die, just before you die, you shout Jesus. <laughs> in that realm, his name has power. Therefore, therefore, When he came to John the Baptist to submit himself to the will of the Father, John the Baptist says, no, you can't baptize me. He said, suffer it to be so for now. When he was baptized, the Father's voice spoke and said, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Because that's priesthood. That's priesthood. That's submitting, yielding yourself. Do you know how great Jesus was? Even John says, I shouldn't baptize you. Hear him. Then, Jesus Christ, then God says, hear him. That's kingship. He wasn't saying hear him like, Oh, Peter James, he was making an announcement to the, to the earth. Hear this one. Hear him. Why? This one is in complete alignment with me. Hear him. You know, if you think about, for sake of analogy, think about an air conditioning unit. You have a wall unit for an AC. What that AC does is that it has dominion over heat. Do you agree? Yeah. Talk to me. Do you agree? Yeah. That's what it does if it's a real AC. Now, that dominion will never express itself if you don't plug it in. Do you understand that? That's the priesthood. So, dominion is embedded in you, but is the plug maybe disconnected? Perhaps. If there's no connection, there can be no dominion. That's the story of Adam. That's the story of Israel. That's the story of Egypt. That's the story of everything in Scripture, is that God wants to give you all things, but he also wants you to give him all things, your priesthood. Proceed of Jesus was so potent because Jesus is not just, he didn't just offer sacrifices, he was the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. That's the expectation of God, by the way. Now, not that you just offer sacrifices to God. At the height of priesthood is that you are on the altar, a living sacrifice. Every day you walk with him in whatever shape he is walking with you in that season. 
deficient priesthood. So when the Bible says that you should submit yourself to God, James 4, 7, that's priesthood. Then he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's kingship. What we quote is that the Bible says I should resist the devil. Did the Bible say that? Yes, but not true. Not completely true. You want to resist the devil. The first reason, if we are kings, why is our lives like this? It's because our priesthood is defective or insufficient. It's, it's, we have broken altars or we have no altars or we have breached consecrations like Samson or we have no consecration at all. You're a rolling stone. No boundaries to your life. You get upset at the fact that the Bible can suggest that you desire something and you should not exercise your desires to make you happy. You're a rolling stone. No boundaries. The second answer to that question is a lack of wisdom. If we are kings, why can we not? Why are we not reigning in life? That's my destiny. That's my identity in Christ. Why is my reality different? The reason is a lack of wisdom. One of the practical ways by which your kingship would find expression in any sphere is God gives you something called wisdom. And the bishop talked about that today. Wisdom. Practical wisdom. You know one of the ways you reign even in your family is by wisdom? There are many marriage crises that you will never have if you have wisdom. Do you understand that? So you have all the articles of kingship. You have a throne. You have a domain. But in your domain, the enemy seems to be ruling because there's a lack of wisdom. And that's why Solomon's kingship was brilliant because he had wisdom. Everybody came and made peace with Solomon. The ability to make sound judgment is wisdom. It was wisdom that made Daniel king in Babylon. I'm using king now in context of our conversation. It was wisdom. Whenever they ran out of ideas and everybody was stuck, they would go seek for Daniel, not for his connections, not for anything else, but for what? His wisdom. He will interpret all the problems of the realm and then he will retire. Wisdom. The ability to know what needs to be done and the capacity to do it. Wisdom. It was wisdom that Joseph used to turn a recession into the most progressive years of Egypt. All the economists had forecasted a recession. There was nothing they could do. A recession was coming. They put one man with the Spirit of God in charge. And by the wisdom of God, he made those years that were meant to be the years of recession to be the most prosperous years of Egypt. That's wisdom. By the way, the world we live in right now, there are more questions that, can, that we have than answers. The world is looking for solutions to many problems. If real kings arise with wisdom, we'll have a cure for cancer. Can you imagine someone shows up next week on CNN and says, the Lord spoke to me that if we combine this leaf and this leaf and pour Coke, because <laughs> Coke is of God, right? It will cure cancer. Can you just imagine how Don Lemon and all those guys will mock him? And then they try it, and it cures every form of cancer. What do you think will happen? What Nebuchadnezzar said is what they will say. There is no God who can deliver like this God. A lack of wisdom causes us to lose dominion. Lack of wisdom. You know that, let's assume that you have power, because we all want power. Because the Bible does say that Christ is both the power and the wisdom of God. Let's assume that you want power. You have power, but you don't have wisdom. You know what's going to happen. So it's like, um, think about a Lamborghini car. A Lamborghini car is a very fast car, powerful, 700 plus horsepower. Now, it's like driving a Lamborghini car, very full of power, but you don't have a GPS. So you're just, you're oppressing everyone on the road, but you're going nowhere. 
there is no application, no practical application of the power or no directional application of the power. That's what the lack of wisdom is. So, and again, we find this in some of our Pentecostal circles. Holy Ghost move, Holy Ghost move, Holy Ghost move, fall down, stand up. I believe in it, the Holy Ghost moves though. But if that move of the Holy Spirit does not translate into real life solutions to problems in the marketplace, I'm sorry, Christians would always be under. God never designed us to fall down and stand up alone. That wisdom must speak when everything else has failed. That is the template of Christianity. So when we church, we raise, focus on raising people who, please, speak in tongues a lot. I agree with you, you should. But if that's all you can do, your dominion is going to be limited. You will be good in spiritual warfare, but you will... You make, does that make sense? So it's not just about what we do within the four walls of a church building. It's about the dominion we carry into the, into the world, into the marketplace, that it true child of God can win an Oscar as the best actor and stands on that platform and says, I want to give God thanks for the gift he has given to me. Jesus will be glorified, right? It's not only in church that Jesus must be glorified. The Bible says that the knowledge of him must cover the whole world as the waters cover the sea. Cover the sea. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was both the power and the wisdom of God because he solved problems. He had answers to every question you ever asked him. He was never lost and said, oh, I don't know, come back next week. He was able to tap into something and bring a solution. That was Solomon's dimension, wisdom. What brilliance. The third reason why is because of the misuse of our words. When I say to you that we are kings and you cannot see the expression of kingship in your life, first place you check is your priesthood. If your priesthood is intact, Usually the next place you check is how you use your words or how you do not use your words. What God has given to you as a king, apart from the articles of kingship, how you practically manifest kingship is by the words you speak. Kings don't rule by their thoughts. The Bible says, Proverbs 8, I think it's 13. It says, it's talking about wisdom there. It says, by me, kings reign. But the second part is where I'm interested. It says that, and by me, rulers decree justice. You must speak if you're a king. If you're a king, if, if, I, I think I've convinced you that you are. If you're a king, you cannot be careless with words. If you're not a king, you can be careless with words. Say whatever you like. If you happen to be a king, you can't be careless with words. Because when you speak, <laughs> your words have power. The reason why many of us are operating beneath that potential and that dimension of kingship in our lives, not just because of our priesthood, is because we're not speaking the right words. Either you're speaking wrong words or you're not speaking at all. You're going through a situation, you're crying and you're worried. And that's legitimate concerns. But at no point did you speak against that situation with authority. At no point, and you've been going through for seven months. Let me say this to you. If you're a king in our context, and we put a secret camera, we installed a secret camera in your house or on your body, on your person to follow you around. Just hear what I'm about to say very well. If we install a secret camera on your person to follow you around and you're a king in the context of scripture and you're operating as a king, we must come to the conclusion that you, are, you have a mental illness. No, 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 I mean that. The reason why is because you will be speaking to yourself a lot and you'll be saying things that don't make sense because Jesus Christ said, you shall say to this mountain, 
Now, imagine that you went to Vancouver and you just saw the bishop in front of a mountain. And he said, mountain, hear the word of the Lord. Move now. What are you going to think is wrong with him? This guy is not well. Right? But that's what Jesus says we should do. He says, speak to mountains. Speak to situations. Speak to circumstances. Speak to challenges. Speak to obstacles. Just use your words and please use them right. Don't say, it's not going to work out for me. How can a king say that in his territory? Have you ever seen a king in his own territory that says, oh, this is what I really desire to do, but I don't know if it will work in this territory. That's not a king. That's just a peasant. You, we speak as if we don't know. Words. <laughs> Words. What you say. What you don't say. How you say it. Matters. Jesus said, if you shall only say. If you shall only say. And not doubt in your heart. The reason why you're not doubting your heart is because you know something. When a king speaks in his domain, he has no doubt that what he has said is going to happen. But the reason why we speak and doubt is because you don't understand the authority you have. Nor do you understand your throne from where you are speaking. He says, if you don't doubt in your heart, he says, you shall have whatever you say. Good or bad. Good or bad. So if you extend that analogy about the air conditioning unit, you can have it plugged in, but it's your words that turn on the power. So you can plug it in, and if you don't turn it on, priesthood is intact, right? Power or kingship is there, right? But you haven't turned it, you haven't turned it on. That's what your mouth does. It activates things for you. Speak, please. And speak like a king. The Bible says that after your obedience is complete, you should punish all disobedience. So when you see disobedience and trespassing in your territory, you can say, no, no, this cannot happen here. Speak, 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 speak. We were made in the image of God. Do you agree? That's what scripture says to us. One of the things about that you must understand is that God, whose image we're made in, created all things by the word of his power. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 3. By faith, we know that the things which are seen were not made from things which are seen, but from things which are unseen, all right, and by his words. By his words. So by the words that God speaks, I said to you a couple weeks ago that words are primarily for creation and not for communication. That's what I heard someone say and I completely agree with you. But apart from what you create with your words, scripture also tells us that God sustains all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. So you don't just create by your word, you also sustain by your word. So many of us, what happens is this. We create something by our words, but we fail to sustain it. So you start out something, you're going well, blah, 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 and it starts to go down. And the moment it starts to go down, your confession changes. Whereas you are meant to say, no, this started by the hand of God. I will sustain this by the word of God. That's how God sustains. So everything that God created, if God does not sustain it by his words, everything can go in another direction sustain all things. The Bible says by the word of his power or by his powerful words. Another translation says to us, are you a king? Are you a king? Why do you speak like a mere man? Why do you speak like a mere man? You know, whatever you need to do to convince yourself and to remind yourself to reprogram your words, do it. Yes. Let me advise you. One of the things you can do, for example, we're not going to judge you. We already talked about the fact that all of us are going to act a little weird. It's okay. 
Go and buy a crown on Amazon. Uh, you're laughing. Desperate times call for desperate measures. If your words are not right, go order a crown on Amazon. Put it in your bathroom, somewhere that you go every day. I assume you always the bathroom once a day. Go there. Put it in the, on, the, on the sink. So once you see that crown, it reminds you, ah, I'm a king. So you start to speak right. The problem is we forget. We forget. I would not judge you if I come to your house and I see like four crowns. <laughs> Actually, I'll judge you. I'll judge you. This is diabolic. <laughs> four crowns. <laughs> Northeast, Western. Anyways. <laughs> Anything you need to do to reconfigure your words, please do it. Have accountability partners that tell you you can't, you're, you're a king. Why are you speaking like this? Your words. Some of you, it's your silence. You're too quiet. You're too quiet. The enemy has done things and you have not once spoken against him. In the book of Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, the Bible tells us that Paul, 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 he's preaching the gospel and a particular guy whose name is Elimas, the sorcerer, was obstructing what Paul was doing. Elimas, let's just call him a type of Satan. He was, he was, he was interfering spiritually with the gospel that Paul was preaching. And the Bible says that Paul was preaching to a man called the proconsul who wanted to give his life to Christ. But because of the demonic interference from this man called Elimas, Elimas the sorcerer, Acts 13, guys, he was hitting feedback. So after a while, the Bible says, Paul, thank you, withstood him. Elimas the sorcerer, okay? He was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Keep going, please. Next verse. After a while, the Bible says, Paul looked intently at him and started to speak to this man. He said to him, son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, you do not cease to pervert the ways of the Lord. Then he gave him a judgment instantly. He said, you shall be blind. The hand of the Lord is upon you. You shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Somebody say immediately. Somebody say immediately. Somebody say immediately. Immediately he was blind. Can you imagine that Paul is in a public setting like this and someone starts to oppose him while he's preaching and he says, in front of everybody, you will be blind. Do you know what that is? What if he wasn't blind? Because that's what we all think about. What if it doesn't work? Right? What if it doesn't work? Paul knew me. If I talk, this will happen. Immediately. That power of immediately, that as you are speaking, your words will start to find expression in your life. God will give it to you. Amen. God will give it to you. He will, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9. God had an encounter with Jeremiah. said to him that I have called you and ordained you, blah, blah, blah. He starts to talk about his inadequacies. I'm a child. I'm, I cannot speak. In verse 9, the Bible says that God touched his mouth and says, I have put my words in your mouth. 9. Touched him. I said, I have put my words in your mouth. From today, what will be in your mouth will be the words of God. 
you will not speak words of defeat anymore. In the name of Jesus Christ. God will give you utterance. Paul looked at him and said, you are blind. With the same mouth with which you can build, because the next verse talks about building down, tearing down. It's with his mouth, by the way. God is talking to Jeremiah. He starts to talk about you shall build, build, pull down, build up, tear down, all that, root out. All that is by words. So what are the things in your life you need to root out? What are the things you need to pull down? What are the things you need to destroy? What are the things you need to throw down? And the things you need to build up. There's some things you must pull down. There's some things you must build up. Use your words. You're going through situations. You say, I don't even know why this is happening to me. Yes. It's not going to work out. No. No, 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 no. Speak as a king. Speak as a king. Where the word of a king is, the Bible tells us there is power. There is power. If there is no power, it's because the king has not spoken. And even the enemy knows that you are the king. He's just waiting for you to issue a decree. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.